Yeah, then we're just going to kind of get into it. Okay. All you right. can just roll with it. I'll cool. follow your lead. You're hosting. I'll just co-host. I mean, just as two co-hosts. <laughs> co co and hosting while hosting gets code. Hello. 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 <laughs> and w- welcome to Conservation Talk Story. I'm Max Bendis. I'm a plant scientist, and I also run the Science Communication Committee for the Society for Conservation Biology here in Hawaii. And I am Emily Sesno, marine biologist, and I study climate change impacts, and I like to do fun podcasting right? on the side. Oh my God, Why so not? fun. <laughs> and what what is this podcast? What is Conservation Talk Story? Well, we serve as a storytelling forum for conservationists. You know, there are lots of environmental issues that are caused by human impacts, and we're here to, one, shine a light on those issues, but also provide people with correct and factual information that's based on actual science mm-hmm. for a change. Yeah, and today we have a special guest with us. So special. So special. Ray Ivazian. Ivazian. Is an award-winning inventor awesome. and um, self-proclaimed trashologist. Yes. Did I get that right? Yes. I'm a trashologist. trashologist. So thank you for having me here. It's a much Appreciate better it. title than mine. Um, <laughs> so Ray, we're, we're here to talk story and talk about stories and tell stories. So I'd love it if you could tell us in just a few sentences, what story are we going to hear today? Today we are going to talk about microplastics. Ooh, uh, the evil, tiny little plastic pieces that we see all over our beaches here in Hawaii and in a lot of other places globally. Um, and we're also going to talk about, I'm assuming, an invention that I created and a method um, I discovered and created also for separating natural and synthetic material to allow us to quantify these microplastics. Yeah, we are definitely going to talk about all of those things. Oh, cool. But first, cool. we're going to do the news. The news. The news. <laughs> so my news segment has to do with cattle feed. Normally it's made out of soybeans, but soybeans are a very environmentally costly thing to produce. There's a lot of impact from all the fertilizer and from the transportation costs. So what researchers in Germany are doing is they are heat blasting peas, PEAs. They're heat blasting these peas so that they can be more nutritionally available so that they can be as beneficial for animals as soybean is, but at a much lower environmental cost. So it's a great step forward from a resource use management perspective. Cool. The story I wanted to highlight is um, here in Hawaii, actually research done by a friend of mine, Patrick Nichols, who's a graduate student at UH, University of Hawaii, and he studies eDNA, which is environmental DNA, um, and specifically in corals. So basically they can take water samples and they can analyze the bits and pieces of DNA, DNA in there, and they found correlation with the coral DNA in the water samples with visually what they were looking at. Mm. So they could say, oh, that there's this many of this species of coral and uh, talk about the differences in the community structure. So it's a lot faster and easier and cheaper to actually mm. assess the health of coral. So pretty that's cool. Awesome. Yeah, that's it's, really cool. It's an emerging science. There's still a lot of research on it, but it's pretty neat. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, and I'm excited to hear more about it because I'm sure that research is going to progress at some point. Yeah, he's still working on it. Yeah, as most of us still are. My <laughs> goodness. Um, anyways, before we get into the actual story part of our story, uh, we should define some jargon terms. Um, jargon is, you know, it's all the fancy words that we scientists love to use to make ourselves feel better than everybody else. Uh, but we want to make things easier for people who might be listening who aren't scientists. 
So we're, we're just gonna go through a very quick list of things that we're gonna talk about just so everybody can be on the same page. Uh, I'm gonna start, Ray, with something that you're very familiar with, a BSD. Uh, can you tell us what a BSD is? A BSD is a buoyancy separation device. Ooh la la, magnifique. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that sounds like a device that uses buoyancy to separate things. You are an intelligent individual. <laughs> ah, very great. Uh, the next one that I'd like you to define for us are POPs. POPs stand for persistent organic pollutants. Ding, 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 ding. Mm -hmm. Wow, he's two for two. You're testing him. I mean, clearly. <laughs> Did you know there was going to be a pop quiz? I didn't. Yeah, that's why it's a pop winning. quiz. You don't know. <laughs> so what, what are persistent organic pollutants, though? Persistent organic pollutants are categorized as different pollutants that are endocrine disruptors. So there are currently the dirty dozen. So there's 12 of them. Um, that the environmental or EPA has categorized, but there's they've been adding more continuously. But yeah, these are just toxic chemicals that are um, were used in different products, not so much nowadays. But yeah, these are dangerous endocrine disruptors. An endocrine disruptor is interrupting our hormones. Yes, and yeah. interrupting our hormones um, is linked to cancerous tumors, growth defects, uh, reproductive. Um, issues a uh, whole slew of different products that or problems that we've seen um, in different species and ourselves as well that actually leads us to our next jargon term bioaccumulate yes <laughs> am i, am I uh, describing that one as well i guess you are okay <laughs> so bioaccumulate i guess uh, specifically what we're going to be talking about is the bioaccumulation of these pops in different uh microorganisms uh, and then aquatic species and then coming back to us and uh, bioaccumulate is in reference to the ingestion absorption inhalation of um, these contaminants and then how it is staying within the fatty cells and tissues of these species and then as it's eaten by larger species up the food chain those chemicals or toxins continue to persist up with them uh, so that brings us to our, our final jargon term for the day the most important jargon term mm -hmm. of the day, and that is microplastic. It's, it's a word that we throw around a lot. We just kind of assume that everybody knows, mm -hmm. but just so we're all on the same page, let's be clear that according to NOAA, NOAA, uh, a microplastic is any plastic particle less than five millimeters in diameter. Mm -hmm. uh, for you out there, diameter is double the radius. <laughs> so that's all the jargon that we're going to define ahead of the program. Some things might come up during the discussion, and so we'll try to put definitions out there as well as we're able to. But, you know, if you hear a word that you don't know, go ahead and look it up. It'll be a great learning experience. The internet knows all. The internet knows a it lot knows of things. Yeah. It knows a lot of things. Uh, but use a discerning eye, because yes. sometimes the internet lies. Yes. And what kind of person would do that? Just go on the internet and post lies. <laughs> Trolls. 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 And bad people. <laughs> But let's, we're not here to talk about bad people. We're here to talk about microplastics. So, Ray, where does this story start for you, this story about microplastics? Uh, this story starts with me doing a cleanup and using a screen to capture all of uh, you know the larger plastics that we see on our beach. Um, and then noticing that as we're using that screen, all these smaller pieces are still falling through. Um, and I thought to myself, well, yeah, that's great that we're capturing this we're helping clean our beaches, remove this material, but what is all of this small stuff doing? Like, how are we supposed to get rid of that? And then 
I went down this crazy rabbit hole doing research on um, marine debris pollution and the impacts that uh, these much smaller microplastics are having on the environment and ecosystem. And yeah, I realized that this is a huge, uh, almost unfathomable problem that we are going to have to tackle and take care of. And I decided that we have to start doing something about it. So I created um, a few things to help us raise awareness and remove it from our beaches. So what what's your background? Where did you come before you got into microplastics? My background before all of this, uh, I was a combat engineer in the Marine Corps for eight years. Um, I was stationed out here in Hawaii. Well, I was in California first, then here in Hawaii. Uh, I loved this island so much. It's so unique and different than anywhere else in the world, not just because of it being paradise and a tropical island, but the people here. There's uh, a very different connection that we have to each other, to the land. Um, and yeah, it just it resonated with me differently than anywhere else that I've been. And I wanted to be here surrounded by these like positive people. Uh, so I decided to make it home. I started going to school and re-educating myself, getting my degree in global environmental science. And just became really passionate about giving back to the land and the community in a different way. Um, obviously, giving back was one way in the military, but not in the same way that I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. In, in your military experiences, was there anything that sort of drew you towards conservation or helped to highlight sort of the importance of conservation issues? I know that the military here in Hawaii does a lot of conservation work with plant communities, but I'm wondering if you had any personal experiences from the inside. I did not. Um, I guess it's also from, I guess, seeing uh, and also being a part of these n- negative impacts that the military has on the world and on mm-hmm. people in other countries. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I got out was not wanting to do that anymore. Fair. Uh, and yeah, I just wanted to give back and do things in a positive way. Not that joining the military is a bad thing by any means. Right. Uh, but yeah, just for me, I wanted to go on and do something better with myself. So let's <laughs> let's talk more about your actual invention then. This buoyancy separation the device. BSD. The BSD. How, how does it work? What is it? Like, literally, what is it? It is a just a wheelbarrow with a concrete mixing tub, uh, two uh, water pumps, a battery and an inverter, and a few hoses and pipes. It's extremely simple. Uh, the reason that I gave it the name BSD, or buoyancy separation device, instead of, like, uh, actual name for it I gave it a nomenclature is that way nobody feels like it's just restricted to me Mm -hmm. Um, I want to encourage others to create this innovate off of it yeah it's made out of those parts and you go down to the beach you grab 15 gallons of water so I just use three five gallon buckets um, and that's how I also gather all of like the sand and debris around but you go down you fill it up with water and then you go along the rack line which is the high tide water line and you just scoop up all of that marine debris that you see there, you put it in the buckets, you dump it in, and you can process up to 10 gallons of material in two to five minutes, depending on the amount of people that are there, and depending on how dirty the beach is, uh, determine how much material that you're able to remove. Mm -hmm. But in just using this simple device and just using buoyancy, in one cleanup, I've removed over 80 pounds of microplastics. Wow, that sounds like a lot. It is an insane amount. Yeah, my goodness. How many buckets was that? uh, A lot. Well, it was four full buckets of trash, 
<laughs> that we had. Wow. And then twenty gallons of trash. Yeah, it was it was a lot. Twenty gallons of little tiny, tiny micro particles yeah, of trash. Tiny microplastics, and that was up at James Campbell National Wildlife Refuge, and that's here on Oahu. It's up on uh, the North Shore in Kahuku, and yeah, that place is just littered and slammed with microplastics yeah. up there. I mean, our entire North Shore is just covered in plastic debris mm. because of the ocean currents that sort of wash all the stuff from the Great Pacific Garbage Patch over mm -hmm. to our lovely, lovely shores. Mm -hmm. It really is a, a, a great thing to be able to see, to go out onto our beaches and just be awash with trash. Yeah, uh, I think it was like a month ago out in Kailua, it was so bad that if you were to just go into the water and come out, your body would be covered in these plastic particles, mm -hmm. stuck in people's hair. Uh, you could actually see waves of trash coming onto our beaches here in paradise. Wow, what, what was really specific bad. to a month ago? Is something shift in the current? I'm not sure. I th we think it was like uh, after a king tide. Mm. Uh, so all those currents just bringing all that material in um, and then just washed ashore. But we have no clue why. Oh, just in one day, there was like thousands of pounds That's of wild. microplastic debris that washed up in Kailua. Makes you realize how much stuff is just out there floating that hasn't hit land yet. Yeah, exactly. Oh. We have no clue, honestly, how much debris is out there in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. You know, there's like estimates of, oh, it's twice the size of Texas or France or, or whatever, but it's not a landmass like people think. You know, it's a soup. This is, uh, we're just basing our figures off of how big it is from um, different vessels going out and running transects. And transects is just a lane out in the ocean and capturing material and then. Um, trying to just extrapolate that data for a larger yeah. area in the it's, ocean. It's a subsampling procedure. Correct. So we can very thoroughly measure part of something without having to very thoroughly measure all of something. Correct. So yeah, it's not something that you can come out and step on and like remove the waste and it means it's just this film that is all over it's like just there. the entire Pacific Ocean. And also yeah. at extreme depths right it's in the entire water column not yep. just the surface so there's only three of the plastics that we produce that are actually buoyant that float that's high density polyethylene low density polyethylene and polypropylene all of the other polymers are going to sink down to the bottom of the ocean floor and those particles that are those plastics that sink down to the bottom uh, the scientists believe are never going to degrade they're going to persist forever in the environment because plastics in order for them to break apart into smaller pieces and then um, yeah just fully degrade they need the Sun they need the ultraviolet rays or photo degradation for mm -hmm. that material to break apart so uh, half of the plastic that we've produced globally will be at the bottom of the ocean floor and the other half is up on the surface Wow that's a bummer yeah <laughs> so the plastics then that you're finding through with your device are the of those three types yes because you're relying the on that polymers. the buoyant properties yes. right tell us a little bit about how that actually works and how you kind of came up with that idea <clears throat> i just looked at nature um it was like a weird thing it's very very deep i'm not gonna go into that but <laughs> yeah just go look at nature at, at and nature we'll solve all the world's problems right <laughs> i like it i wish it was that easy yeah we can try um so I love looking at nature. So I was an engineer, and I love looking at how nature engineers things, how she creates things. So I looked at it almost as like a reverse bioengineering type thing. And looking at how nature, she can't take care of this debris. She can't recycle it. She can't degrade it. There's 
she's been trying, right? That's how we're getting these microplastics is from the abrasion of the larger particles, breaking it down, but it's also from the smaller organisms, fish, whales, uh, birds, whatever, ingesting, biting this material and breaking it down into smaller pieces. And that's what nature has been doing you know, almost all of existence. Anything that is floating on the ocean surface uh, was either food for them, you know, decomposing organic matter um, from a whale, or it was uh, wood sticks, whatever, that these other smaller organisms could mm -hmm. take refuge under. They're trained to swallow things that they see floating on yes. the surface. Yeah, but they've done all of existence, right? But this plastic material doesn't degrade. It just persists inside of their body. Um, and so, yeah, it was nature. She can't do anything with it. So what is she doing now? She's throwing this waste back at us. She's throwing it on our, our, sea, our shores, saying, you have to do something. I can't fix this anymore. Um, and... So yeah, I took it from like that point and just made that connection that, well, this stuff floats. Like the stuff that's coming on our shores, all the stuff that's being washed on, on our beaches, it floats, it's still buoyant. So we can take this mixture of stuff that's on our beach, right? The sand, the rocks, the corals, um, and everything else, and we can buoyantly separate out this material. And yeah, I just created this really simple invention that has water circulating continuously through it and is allowing us to remove microplastic particles that have never been, I guess, removed from our beaches before. So now that we've got this invention, how are we going to sort of ex expand this invention's reach? How are we going to get this into more people's hands? And how are we going to make this more efficient so we can actually start really putting into practice and cleaning up our beaches rather than just sort of doing proof of concept type things? Mm -hmm. um, well, we're going to do that by continuing to do what we're doing right now and just talking about it. That's like the biggest thing and by keeping everything open source. So everything that I'm going to do will always be open source because this is not something that any one person, one organization, one country can solve. This is something that we globally have to come together and work together towards uh, resolving and rehabilitating. Yeah, by keeping that open source for others to be able to replicate and reproduce, help their shores and help educate others because what this does is it it gives the people something tangible that they can relate to when you remove these microplastics and you see how small these particles are you can make the connection to uh, how easily it is for smaller organisms to ingest this material and then as we were talking about the different POPs um, those POPs that are absorbing and adsorbing onto these plastic particles uh, as these plastic particles break down smaller and smaller, it, you're actually increasing the surface area of these pieces of plastic. Um, the more surface area you have, the more POPs can be on that mm -hmm. piece of plastic. Um, and so yeah, when you start talking about that and how small the pieces are and how it moves its way up the food chain and how it's impacting um, our oceans and then possibly us, there's no like comprehensive study showing the damages that are being done to us. But uh, yeah, it just, it, it resonates with people, um, especially with the youth. It's really funny. I have so many parents come up to me like after I do like a cleanup or a talk at their school and they're like, my kid won't stop talking and like bugging me about not <laughs> buying plastics anymore. Um, Got to get them while they're young. Yeah. Right? I'm like, that's a good thing. I, I'm glad that your kids are saying that. Yeah. So this, this is a really good opportunity to actually plug Ray's website, seed.world. Mm -hmm. That's S-E-E-D w-o-r-l-d yep seems like just how it's spelled mm -hmm. no.com no.org i 
purchase the dot world domain so it's just you type it in and boom right and you, you can find actual plans to build these things in your website right yes and that's the the most basic model <clears throat> I have a different model that I created and I'm currently using in uh, engineering with different schools and students and I have yet to put the plans up on the, uh, the website but I promise I'm gonna get there soon <laughs> uh, but the basic model works um, just as good it's not as efficient though so it does take like a little longer for um, right. to separate everything but it's still capturing and removing everything and it's it was initially designed as more of a teaching tool than an actual implementation tool correct do you do you have plans to like redevelop this initial prototype and it's something that's easier to use in like actual practice i do so uh i have an engineering team that i'm working with right now we're in pre-prototype production phase Ooh, that sounds fancy yeah we <laughs> should uh hopefully be done here soon and it's going to be uh that device is going to be called seed and um it's a beach lawnmower, or as I like to call it, a, a sand boney. Sand boney. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you push it along the beach, and um, yeah, it will remove and capture everything. It's compared to the wheelbarrow version, or the BSD. That's a stationary device where you have to bring the material to it, and mm-hmm. then you have to dump the sand out. Um, this is a continuous process that has different screens and conveyor belts, um, and it goes through like a, a washer, like a sluice box is um, the way that it is and dumps the sand back on the beach. Great, so dirty sand in the front, clean sand in the back. Yeah, I like it, that Mm -hmm. sounds pretty awesome. When you're using this thing on the beach, do you have people come up to you all the time just asking you what you're doing? All the time, and the the coolest thing about it is like when the the kids come over and they see it, they just take over. I don't even have to like clean anymore, do anything. I'm just over like bringing more people, trying to show them because yeah, it's, uh, I don't want to say it's fun. It's not like fun playing with trash, but... Uh, no, you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's a cool interactive experience that um, they get to be involved with. And yeah, I have so many people come over, ask me questions about it. And then like, as there's a small crowd, it starts to get larger and larger and larger. And, Is yeah. there anybody that's actually surprised with how much comes out of it? There are so many tourists that come here that don't even like pay attention to it. They wonder, don't even realize it. They're just like, oh, well, we just thought it was like colorful sand or coral or something oh, else. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, they didn't even realize, or didn't realize, they didn't know about the harms mm. that this stuff is doing and mm-hmm. how much of it we receive on our beaches and how big of a problem it is. So, uh, yeah, talking to them about it is it's really cool seeing them make those connections and realizations that's awesome yeah honestly it is but um clearly you're not the first person who has tried to clean up beach plastic before not even microplastics um you spent all of this effort to make this new device this new invention of yours why is it any better than the stuff that people are already doing well the only other methods that are out there currently is just using your hands or grabbers to pick the stuff up. Grabbers. Yeah. Or <laughs> using a screen. And most of the screens that people use are like a five millimeter or a three millimeter screen. If you start going smaller than that, then you're going to get those different grains of sand that's clogging it up or coral. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're removing a lot of stuff that you don't want to capture. But in that method, it's leaving behind all of those microplastic particles. And I'm not saying that like screens are bad or using like a sieve or sieve is bad. Um, it's still great, you know, if, as long as you're out there helping and you're just trying to do your part, that's amazing. Um, 
I'm just trying to raise awareness on microplastics specifically. And so that's the, the only difference is I'm just capturing these really small particles and also the really large stuff too. Yeah, well, you know, it seems like a really big difference, honestly. Yeah. Even though they're such small particles. Mm -hmm. Do you know, cumulatively, since you started this project, how much micro, how many microplastics, pounds of, or whatever that you've collected? Oh, no, I do not know the no. pounds. I do know from um, my research a bit, James Campbell in the Marine Corps base, from traditional methods of assessing shoreline marine debris accumulation, we are missing uh, around 23% of the data for what is accumulating on our shores because that missing percentage is all the microplastics that are mm. left behind, mm. which is a huge, huge gap um, in our data. So yeah, using this method along with uh, the method I created for separating natural and synthetic materials allows us to quantify this huge um, data gap that has never been observed before. Can we actually touch on that uh, briefly? Because you have developed this whole method. Because when, when you do this buoyancy separation, you don't just get plastic particles. There's also all of this organic matter that floats to the surface, too. And so organic matter is just plant stuff that's floating around in the ocean. And mm -hmm. I guess other stuff, too, but it's mostly plant stuff. Correct. So mm -hmm. what, what do you do to separate those things out? Because with these little tiny particles going through and picking through it with tweezers, it's just not realistic. It's not very effective. No, it's not <laughs> very effective. I, I can tell you from experience, picking through things with tweezers is not effective. No, dude. Uh, so for scientific purposes, the only method that was being uh, done for uh, assessing microplastics was using a mixture of hydrochloric acid, hydrogen peroxide, iron sulfate, and a few other chemicals to dissolve this organic material, but it's also dissolving the plastic material in the process and then leaving behind this really toxic sludge um, that you can't do anything with, so you're just creating a whole other problem in the process. Yikes. And also using this method, you're only allowed to uh, quantify particles down to 300 micrometers and because it's dissolving those smaller plastics. So I wanted to do, like I said, my research on microplastics. I created like this invention for us to separate uh, this marine debris from our shores, but I did not want to be doing this method uh, to separate the debris to quantify it. So. Again, I thought really hard about how to do this, and I once again looked at nature. And I made the connection, or I realized that if you leave natural material in water for a long period of time, what happens to it? Uh, it gets waterlogged, it and gets it sinks. Waterlogged, <laughs> and then it sinks. So I first did like some tests at my house, and... I just took a, a bunch of like marine debris that I'd captured and I put it in a tub of water and like I just put like a weight or another tub on top of it and like held it down. And uh, it was like a week later I came back and some of the material had sunk, but not a lot of it. But man, did it smell so bad. Oh, <laughs> oh, it, was, uh, it was really bad. But I was like, okay, yeah, we can like waterlog this stuff, but how can we speed this process up? And I... Yeah, just thought hard on it, and I made this realization that if you take this mixture of natural and synthetic material and you put it inside of a vacuum chamber, a strong vacuum chamber to where you can remove a full atmospheric pressure, and you submerge that material underwater, as you pull that vacuum inside that chamber, what you're doing is you are pulling the air out of the pockets and cells of that natural debris. Um, the, those pockets and cells are much larger than the cells that are in plastic. Plastic cells are very, 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 very small. Um, 
and as you are pulling this vacuum and you pull that air out you are also forcing water into the place of those cells when you release that vacuum that natural material is now waterlogged and sinks to the bottom while the synthetic material floats to the top this process depending upon the amount of material that you have takes between 20 and 30 minutes and it also is dependent upon the pump that you're using the size of the chamber there's many different variables but it is very fast compared to again the other method of um, using acids and chemicals mm -hmm. to dissolve it I decided to call that method and like that device a trash time machine <laughs> <laughs> and I called it that because all I'm doing is um, just speeding up the process of what nature does right um, oh, so it's a forward time machine. Yes, I okay. wish I could go backwards. So many right? things. <laughs> Technically, <laughs> you, we can all move forward at the speed of regular time. Yes, sure. It's <laughs> a really wise point there, Max. I try. <laughs> this, this is what I bring to the table. <laughs> so yeah, we're just speeding up the process uh, of what nature is doing um, with this marine debris and allowing us to remove these really small microplastic particles. And I'm a as I said, a trashologist. I work at the Center for Marine Debris Research in Waimanalo. And over there, we sent six samples uh, to this instrument company called Agilent. And we were able to quantify particles down to 25 micrometers, which is around a quarter of the size of a human hair. So this method that I'm using of just water is allowing us to remove extremely small particles that um, were never thought possible to be like quantified, to be removed. I mean, the human eye visibly can only see down to 40 microns. So this is in essentially invisible plastics, but they're there. Um, and what they used was a microscanning FTIR microscope. Look it up, we're not gonna explain all of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really fancy, fancy. cool <laughs> microscope. Um, that you just got, right? Yes, our uh, laboratory. So through us sending these samples to them and showing them that hey, we need this instrument here. We need to like show the world uh, like this problem that we have and help add to like this this data gap. Mm -hmm. um, they sent us a micro this micro FTIR and I imagine it came with a big bow on it. I wish it did. <laughs> I, I wasn't there for uh, when it uh, got delivered, but yeah, that would have been amazing if right. it did. Um, but yeah, they sent us one of these microscopes, so now we can continue to. Um, educate and, and quantify this stuff instead of having to send samples overseas that's great I, uh, I, I bet your bosses are happy oh yeah she was very very happy this uh, machine is like close to ha like over half a million dollars wow yeah. it is a really fancy piece of technology yeah that's really cool so so basically let me get this straight you have not only created a new invention which can separate out little tiny microplastic particles from beach sand which no one was really able to do before but you've also developed a non-toxic, faster, and I presume also cheaper method so <laughs> of separating those plastic particles from the organic matter that they are, you know, ensconced in. Correct. Yeah. And so then what do you, you do with the plastic? <laughs> of so course. After, yeah, you... Yeah, actually, what do you do with all do that do plastic? With all the trash. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this method is so much faster. It's removing more. It's only using water. Uh, it's extremely cheap. And it's something that anyone can do, any age group can do. Because it, if you were to do the other method of using acids, obviously you have to have um, specific facilities, equipment, so many other criterias to do this method compared to using this is just water in a vacuum chamber. 
and it's and obviously the vacuum pump, but it's very, very simple. Yeah, a lot harder to get a chemical burn from water. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you were asking Emily, like, what do you do with all this plastic after you remove it? Um, and that's something new that we're going to be moving forward with, uh, is trying to figure out how to recycle and repurpose these plastics. Uh, what I'm currently doing with it is giving it to different Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, artists, um, to create statement pieces with, to create art with, to help raise awareness here in Hawaii. Um, some of the material is going to Parlay, uh, which is uh, like, a, I guess, uh, another environmental conservation group, and uh, they're with Sustainable Coastlines, and that material is then getting repurposed into different products. And what I'm planning to do with it in the future, so we were talking about there's only three of those polymers that are buoyant. Low density and high density polyethylene, so we'll just call it polyethylene and... Yeah, let's keep it simple. Yeah, and <laughs> polypropylene. Those two polymers are thermoforming polymers. So you have plastics are broken down into so many different categories, but you have thermoforming and thermosetting plastics. Thermoforming plastics are your buoyant polymers for simplicity state and thermosetting are your dense ones that are sinking. These buoyant polymers can be repurposed into virtually anything you want. They can be taken and put into a heat injection mold because they can still be formed and you can create coasters, you can create tables, you can create chairs, you can create whatever out of it or you can create beach cleaning devices out of it. <laughs> so I'm trying That's, to create... That would be very cyclical. Right? So yeah, I wanted to create a, a circular waste stream out of these plastics to where as we are going and cleaning our beaches and then we separate this natural and synthetic material, we can then take those plastics and create more of these devices to where my vision is to continue to give them away uh, for free, essentially, to other countries um, that aren't able to financially afford to, to have like this device. Mm -hmm. um, what's, what's the actual cost of one of these devices? So seed itself, uh, we are estimating that it'll be starting off like five to $6,000. But as we obviously continue to produce, uh, it will go down significantly in price. Right. What about just the regular BSD? The wheelbarrow one? The BSD uh, here in Hawaii, um, I wanted to help boost local businesses and economy. So we're only purchasing the materials from Hardware Hawaii and battery bills. And when you get the get it from them, it costs around $700. Okay. But other places in the world, if you were to go and piece it off of Amazon, Home Depot, Lowe's, wherever, uh, you can get it for much, much cheaper, like hmm. around four, four fifty. All right. Um, so yeah, we're paying a little more here, but uh, yeah, I wanted to support the local businesses. It's always good to keep it local when you can. Yeah. Since you said Zamboni, I'm just picturing you driving up and down the beaches on a, a Zamboni, just scooping up all the plastic. Yeah, oh, actually, a, a drivable version would be pretty yeah. sweet. That's in the future. So we were talking about how this was something that we all have to work together towards. So the first one is uh, a lawnmower that's pushed with um, two to four people, depending on if it's kids, adults, whoever. And it's just to utilize teamwork, right? And it's the same thing with the BSD. The BSD works best in teams of three to six. Um, and that just helps build team building skills. Uh, it helps, yeah, in so many ways. But in the future, it will definitely be like something that's almost like a Roomba, a beach Roomba that goes around almost autonomously. Cool. And is just removing the, the material. Mm. Yeah. But right now, it just want to raise awareness with 
right. process with people getting involved. We're still in the pre-prototype production phase. Yes. <laughs> it's a lot of peas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's four peas. I didn't notice that. Before. Right? <laughs> makes makes for a really confusing acronym. This one next. Hmm. By the way, it's okay for us to have these gaps. Yeah, because <laughs> we can cut and edit things. You assume that we're cutting and editing anything. <laughs> Max can edit all of it out. So I've literally never done that before in my life. Hey, we're figuring it out. It's a learning process, right? Well, you did touch on it before, kind of the negative impacts of these plastics. Can you go into a little more detail about what those specifically are? Yeah. Um, one of the newest studies that actually just came out here through the University of Hawaii by Dr. Sarah Jean Royer found that as plastic particles start to photodegrade in the environment, they are releasing CO2 and methane gas. Methane gas is 30 times more toxic, or excuse me, not toxic, that's not the right word, um, more harmful as a greenhouse gas than CO2. But on top of that, as it's releasing CO2, it is increasing the amount of uh, carbonic acid that is in our oceans, which is leading to ocean acidification. Mm. And so acid acidifies things. I think that's how it works. <laughs> wow. Right? Amazing. Wow. <laughs> which is relatively new, uh, a new discovery because my research is on ocean acidification and I hadn't even considered that microplastics would be a plastics significant mm -hmm. contribution to that. But yeah. what, so we didn't even talk about that. What are plastics? Plastics are petroleum-based product, mm -hmm. right? Plastics are made of oil. Um, and so the whole production process and manufacturing process of plastics is just harmful in general from us removing it from, from the environment to uh, refining it to shipping it, just the whole process. But um, as it's trying to degrade or break, break down in the environment, it's releasing all those same toxins that we get while we're burning it as well so, yeah so it's like a double whammy yeah just plastics are <laughs> they have so many positive applications but they really do yeah i mean s plastic pollution is very very bad there's mm -hmm. really nothing good about plastic pollution mm -hmm. but plastic is a really important invention that basically allows modern medicine and science to function the way that it does. Yep. So we can't just stop using and stop producing plastics. We can produce bioplastics, which are a little bit less impactful than petroleum products on the production side, but they're just as bad yes. on the pollution side. But it really comes down to reducing the amount of plastic we use or reducing the amount of disposable plastics that we use. Yes. You know, there's a certain amount of disposability in the medical industry that you just can't get away from. Also in just the general sciences, not everything is gonna be able to be washed and reused just by the nature of what you're doing to it. Mm -hmm. But we can at least keep that trash in the trash cycle so it doesn't become pollution. And we can remove non-essential plastic products Correct. from the sort of sphere of uh, influence, so to speak, of what we're able to buy and what we're able to use. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of that work actually going on here in Hawaii uh, with Bill 40, banning no. styrofoam and other plastics, the plastic bag ban that got passed, I think, a couple of years ago. And there's even been talk he, uh, at UH Manoa about a banning all plastic straws on campus. Mm -hmm. I actually believe that is moving forward, although I haven't really heard anything about it in, I don't know, like six months? Hopefully it moves forward. Yeah, hopefully it does. But if not by 2022, they're going to have to anyways. Yeah, they're going to have to anyways. Is, yeah. 
Yeah, Bill Forty was uh, huge. If anyone listening didn't know about that, Bill Forty was the largest single-use plastic phase-out bill uh, in the nation, and it's getting rid of cups, stirs, straws, utensils, bags, mm-hmm. uh, clamshells, styrofoam. Uh, so it's huge. Right, and this this is really just at uh, places like restaurants. Yes, it it doesn't yes. affect grocery stores, so it it doesn't have that sort of impact on the Correct. products we're able to buy, but the amount of waste that I see, so I live in Waikiki, and I see a bunch of waste on the ground all the time just from people tossing their clamshells mm-hmm. or just like, you know, wrappers from 7-Eleven. So all of this stuff can just be packaged in something else that's not plastic. Mm-hmm. When is that going to be enforced? Do we know? Is uh, it, is it? It's 2022. So oh, 2022. it's a, it's a yeah, slow freeze out. Yeah. Oh, I see. It's like January of 2021. They're getting rid of some of the the products I don't remember. I believe which it's one specifically. Mostly just polystyrene mm. uh, in the the first stage in 2021, but then yeah, by 2022, it's basically everything that's mentioned in the plastic ban bill is not available anymore. Yep. Yeah, I find that I'm much more whenever I go anywhere to eat any restaurants, I'm always looking at what they're using and mm-hmm. seeing if they're on that trend. So oh, Sur- yeah. Surfrider actually has a an ocean friendly restaurant program. Mm-hmm. Um, you can check that out on their website in case any anyone's interested. They have they have a big list of ocean-friendly restaurants that you, it's not just about the the plastic products that they give out or don't give out, but it's also about where they're sourcing their fish Correct. from. So Surfrider is doing a really good job of that, uh, and they've been putting in a lot of work. But eventually, that work well, so that work matters. But the new Bill Forty is going to make it so that all restaurants all restaurants are ocean-friendly, so mm-hmm. to speak. So I guess Surf Rider won't have to work quite as hard in the future. <laughs> well, we're going to change up what our ocean-friendly restaurant standards are. So Ooh. I don't think I plugged that, but I'm vice chairman for Surf Rider Oahu as well. Yeah, you did not <laughs> plug that. No. There you go. <laughs> so um, did everything he say, uh, was that all right? Yeah, no, it was, <laughs> it was very good. Um, so yeah, in the future, we're just going to change what our OFR program is, and we're trying to implement it to where if you're uh, purchasing, like, or have it be where you're purchasing locally sourced uh, produce, um, meat, obviously fish is already one of them, but mm-hmm. just changing it because we're not going to be around plastic anymore. Yeah, that's so that, amazing. that's actually another really big part of it. I don't want to get too far off plastics, but you brought up produce as an ocean-friendly thing, mm-hmm. and I as a plant scientist would be remiss to not point out that a huge amount of the marine impact in Hawaii is caused by agricultural runoff and mm-hmm. agricultural production. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my research on land looking at these agricultural systems is directly influencing conservation efforts in the ocean. And when we live on these relatively small islands in the middle of this relatively large ocean, it's really important for us to understand how our systems sort of bleed into each other because everything is connected everywhere, but even more so everything is connected here in Hawaii. Mm Um, just to back up a little bit, we started talking about ocean acidification. What are some, just briefly, some of the other issues with this these microplastics affecting organisms? So Max just brought up about pesticides and how those things are leaching mm-hmm. into our groundwater and then going into our ocean. So a lot of these POPs are from pesticides um, that are leaching into our ocean. So these POPs, as we were talking about, that are being absorbed and adsorbed onto these plastics as they're being ingested by these small organisms and bioaccumulating up um, 
are affecting the reproduction rate of these species, the growth of these species, uh, causing cancerous tumors. Um, with ocean acidification, it's damaging the, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the thickness of the shells of um, different species and how they're able to grow and protect themselves from predators. And when you affect one organism, if you were to get rid of any single organism in the food chain, it is going to ripple and cause catastrophic effects throughout the rest of the food chain. Mm. Um, and that's one of like, the biggest concerns is we are finding microplastic particles all the way down in plankton, um, which are some of the smallest organisms in our ocean. And as research continues to be done on these plankton, and if we start to see these uh, different damaging effects that these POPs are causing on these um, these organisms and how it's bioaccumulating and biomagnificating up the food chain, um, yeah, what is it going to do? What, what's going to happen to these giant sperm whales that are eating these plastics as well? Mm -hmm. Or eating these uh, plankton that have all these plastics and then all the other plastics that they're ingesting in the process. I've also heard, I don't know how true this is, <coughs> but I've heard that when organisms eat these plastics, they can't properly digest it, and so it just sort of keeps piling up in their Correct. system and can lead to starvation, Yes, right? Yeah. Um, most of the photos that you're going to see of albatross, especially out here, uh, you'll see that it's just an albatross skeleton and then all of these plastics inside of it. And it almost looks like they've exploded with plastic. Yeah, and they actually do, and it's not just the albatross, it's many other organisms too, but they're ingesting this material in these large fragments, and their acids in their stomach aren't able to break down this material. And so it just builds and builds and builds in their stomach to where um, these creatures are dying of starvation with a stomach full of trash. Um, ironic somehow. Mm -hmm. And also just really sad. It is. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very impactful. So another thing we do at our research laboratory is uh, turtle necropsy. So we do dissections on um, green sea turtles, loggerhead turtles, uh, and... Every single species that we have ever dissected, uh, we also do albatross. Um, I forget the other bird at the moment, but they all have plastic inside them. Is it every, every single every one. species or every individual? Every individual Ooh. we have dissected. Ooh, that's a lot worse. And it's not like a small amount of plastic. This is a significant uh, amount of plastic to where um, it's hundreds of pieces. Wow. It's... It's terrible. Yeah. And we're going to be doing lab walkthroughs in the future if anyone ever wants to come and see Turtle Guts. Yes. <laughs> I do. And Turtle Trash. I do and I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I also do and don't at the same time. Oh, the smell is very strong. It's well, very it's a good thing this is a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and not a smell cast. <laughs> we haven't quite perfected that technology yet. Something in the future. Maybe yeah. next. Yeah, yeah, Ray, that's something for you to work on next. Okay. On your San Boni. <laughs> Put little nose phones in. Oh my god! <laughs> now, now I can't stop thinking about like earphones for your nose. It might happen. Just them up there. It's e even a grosser yeah. thing to share. Could be, man. My goodness. <laughs> so we've been talking a bit of gloom and doom here. Mm -hmm. What's what's positive? What's there to look forward to? I think the, the biggest thing is it is increasing in global awareness. There are so many more people that are realizing that there's this huge problem, not just with uh, microplastics and with marine debris, 
but with how we live as a, a society, uh, it, we have this throwaway culture, this kind of out of sight, out of mind. It's not my problem. But we are starting to realize that, wow, our actions are causing these huge issues in other places in the world. Um, and some of them are coming back and affecting us. And yeah, through our, our access to the internet, we're able to see what's going on in the world and the damages that it's causing and how it's rippling. And I think that's the biggest thing is that it's being, being talked about. It's being shown. People are learning. They're, they want to know more. They're asking questions. And that's the biggest thing that we can do is talk about it, share it, um, and spread it. So we, we like to end things here on a high note. Um, so what, what good thing is happening to you personally, Ray, now? Uh a really good, cool thing that's happened to me is I just yesterday got a phone call from Senator Gabbard's office, and they want me and two of the, the students that I've worked a lot with, Lucas and Sophia, they're going to um, recognize me for my invention and work in the community with the youth, and then for them, uh, their work in building these devices and helping educate their school and their classmates. Oh, wow. So yeah. It's that's a awesome. Really cool, big thing. Job. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Well deserved. L a literal award winning I inventor. Know. Trashologist. <laughs> Literally. Congratulations, thank Ray. You. Good job, Thank man. you, thank you very much. Yeah. Emily, what's going on with you? Oh. What's, what's great in Emily Town? In Emily Town, well, kind of on this theme, I have a compost bin that's got. A healthy population of worms breaking down all my all my rubbish. So mm. I only take my garbage bags out like once a month, if that. Which is wow, pretty really? Exciting. Yeah, because I have no food waste <sighs> in I'm there so, at I'm all. So, I'm so jealous. Mm -hmm. And the good thing is I've gotten my neighbors on board, so I'm giving them some worms so they can start their own bins, and hopefully we can reduce all of the trash that we're producing in our house. So, so great! I exciting. love to hear about that yeah. spread of good conservation energy. Where did you get your your worms from? Um, I got worms. Sorry. I've got, I, yeah, I have plenty if you want to start. I can come bring okay. you some worms. Um, I worked with a teacher who actually had, um, I'll have to get the direct contact, but she basically had a worm compost bin in her classroom. And so the kids could pick the worms up and play with them and put their food scraps in there. Um, so she just handed me a Tupperware thing of her worms. Um, but I do have the information of where she gets it because I think she had some grant to have that project go on. Great. We'll be sure to plug that on our Twitter, at Contalk Story, so you can get all of the good links <laughs> once the episode is over. Yeah. Compost. It's the best. So great. It is. I love it. What about you? What's good in your world? Oh, God. What's good in my world? Well, I actually, uh, I reached a, a research milestone recently. I've been able Yay. to digitize. Yeah, yay. <laughs> I've been able to digitize enough of the data for my current project, which is actually looking at underground competition between breadfruit and mamaki. Uh, but I've been able to actually start analyzing the data, coming to conclusions, realizing all of the sort of... Um, I've put all of this work into this project and now I'm finally getting results out of it. And I've actually put together my first abstract for um, the big Hawaii Conservation Alliance SCB Oceania joint conference that's happening in September. So I'm really excited about nice. that conference. I really hope that my abstract gets accepted. It's gonna be a big international conference and I'm very, very excited about getting to this stage in this research project. That's amazing, man. It's amazing Congrats. how long science takes, isn't it? It's been <laughs> almost three years now yep. working on this one project. Yep. It's been a long, long time. It'll be great to be done. 
so I can start on another one. Yeah. I'll start on another three-year project. Yeah. I mean, the, the, honestly, the next one's going to be even longer. Next one's probably going to take a whole decade. Jesus. So I, I mean, I research trees. Yeah. They take a long time to grow. I think I want to be a trashologist. Honestly, when it's, I grow it's up. a little faster. Seems a little easier. <laughs> <laughs> At least you get to spend all day on the beach. Yeah. Definitely well, some perks from it. Sometimes. I'm sure you're in the lab a lot, too. Yeah, I do a lot of time with that. And but dissecting turtles. Yeah. Yeah, the stinkier part of the job. Mm-hmm. Well, anyways, Ray, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. This has been a presentation of the Society for Conservation Biology here in Hawaii. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> we're, we're the local chapter of the global organization. Uh, in case you at home are interested in getting more involved in conservation efforts here in the state, you can go to www.hiscb.org and become a member today. Yeah, this is our inaugural uh, episode too. Hooray! So more to come. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on yeah. your first episode. Oh, yeah, of course, right. Share everything. I really appreciate it, both of you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Great. So so thanks for listening, everybody. This was our first episode, and I, I'm really excited about how it went, and we hope to bring you more episodes in the future. Yeah, thanks. I'm going to look forward to it. Thank you, man. Goodbye. Goodbye. Later. Okay. Okay. We're, we're done. Oh, we're wow. Done. It's weird coming back to the, the world, oh the real world with hearing. Right?